Go ahead, everyone, please stand. Stretch and stretch. Good, good. Go ahead and sit down. Worship. Worship. I want to pull back the veil on what's going on at every Mass, every time you're here at Mass, at every Catholic parish throughout the world, and here at St. Francis de Sales. Worship. That's what's going on. But I want you to see what really is going on in worship that you may have never been aware of. And it comes right here from our second reading. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 5. And St. John, the apostle, has been given visions by God to be able to see into heaven. And in this particular point, he's seeing worship in heaven. And he describes... In chapter 5, there's other chapters that describe even more beings that are worshiping. But in chapter 5, he describes three sets of beings that are worshiping the Lamb of God. And, and I'm going to go into that. Because that's what's happening. When he looks into this heavenly scene, he sees these heavenly creatures worshiping the Lamb of God. Now, the Lamb of God that they're worshiping, Jesus Christ, is the same Lamb of God that we are going to worship in the Eucharist in just a few moments. Because when that bread and that wine is held up at consecration by a priest, at that moment, it changes into the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, his presence. So that means that he's here. But what is heaven? Heaven is not some physical space. And heaven doesn't move through time. Heaven is a state of being in the presence of God. And all have their existence because they dwell in the presence of God for all of eternity. So heaven is not a part of space and time. It's another dimension. It's a heavenly realm. It transcends all of that. Stands before all of that. And intersects with that any time that in our time we are here at Mass and the Lamb of God comes here in the Eucharist. So when he comes here, then all who dwell in him, in heaven, because that's what heaven is, come with him. So literally then, heaven comes to earth. And then earth is caught up in that heavenly worship. And so that means that all the creatures that John describes, these heavenly creatures, in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, that means they're here with us. How can that be? We're just a small little church. It can be because there is no space and time in heaven. So they can, quote unquote, fit into a church. 
They can all be here at the same time. And the eternal presence and the infinite, which is beyond space, in a different dimension and a different realm. Keep that in mind now. Because who they worship is who we worship, and we are worshiping him with them at the same time. Right here, right now. Okay, who are these creatures? John says he first sees many angels. Now, this is from the translation of the scriptures that we use at Catholic Masses around the United States. The New American Catholic Bible, right? That our bishops uh, are the ones who guide that. And that translation is the easiest on our ears. It's accurate, but it's the easiest on our ears listening to English to be able to understand. But there's actually a more scholarly translation of the scriptures. It's not that it's more accurate, it's just more scholarly, okay? It's more precise. That's the um, Revised Standard Version. And when you look at that, which is a direct translation from the Greek, if you try to read it, it's just more cumbersome to read for our ears. It's harder to navigate. Because there's words and, and the ways the words and the phrases are put together. It's just, it doesn't make as sense to us um, using common parlance in English, okay? You need to know that. Because while in this translation it says, John sees many angels. In the Revised Standard it says, he sees myriads upon myriads of angels. Myriad in Jesus' time is 10,000. So he's seeing 10,000 times 10,000 angels, which means he's seeing 100 million angels worshiping the Lamb of God. 100 million angels. Countless angels is what John is trying to communicate. So what that means for us is that when we are worshiping the Lamb of God, a hundred million angels are here with us worshiping the Lamb of God. Let me give some perspective to that. Who here has ever been to um, like a rock concert? Okay. Yep. I went just a couple weeks ago to the Eagles down at the Nationwide Arena. Awesome, right? And Joe Walsh is arguably, I think, still one of the best live rock guitarist in the world. I mean, when he started jamming on the electric guitar, everybody there was just brought into it, right? The energy of it. And what is that space? 18, 19, 25,000 that sit in the nationwide arena? And we were all electrified by that, the whole concert, for three hours. We thought my masses were long. Okay. So, let me, let me just blow that up a little bit more. Who has ever been to, like, a, a college football game? Show of hands. Okay, great. Uh, a few years ago, I got to go with some friends to the High State Michigan game. And it was one of those nail-biter games where we almost lost, but we won, right? So, everybody was just constantly standing, on, um, standing up and just cheering and, and calling out at, at the top of their voice. Even if you're not into football, you, you would have been drawn into this. It was electrifying. And High Stadium seats about 105, 106,000 people. Okay. 
when you come to Mass, you're not just here with three or four hundred people. And you're not just here with 18 or 19 or 25,000 angels or 106,000 angels. You're here with a hundred million heavenly beings worshiping the same Lamb of God that you're worshiping. Let's let that sink in. St. John then goes on to describe that there are four living creatures also there worshiping. Who are these four living creatures? Any Jew would have known this, okay, in the time that John is writing this. And in fact, he goes on in other chapters to describe who they are, to give descriptions of who they are. But he really didn't need to do that. He did that for Christians who were of uh, you know, non-Jewish descent that he was writing to. But all the Jews would have known this. They would have known it because he was referring to the same four beings that Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, saw in chapter 1 of Ezekiel, where God allows this prophet to see something of heaven. And he sees these four living creatures, and Ezekiel describes them precisely. They are these. And as I describe them, I'll tell you who they are, because people like John, and then the disciples of the first in second and third generation, the Christians of the first and second and fourth century, the early church fathers who were close to all this culturally would have understood who this is. And in fact, they tell us who it is. First one. The first creature of the four creatures is one who has a face like a man. This is Matthew, the gospel writer. And the reason why is that he speaks about the incarnation and about the humanity of Jesus more than the other four gospel writers. They all speak about that, but he speaks about it more. So the face of a man. The next one is an eagle. One with a face of an eagle. These are some symbolisms, okay? This is John, the gospel writer, the one who's writing the book of Revelation, okay? And, and he, but he's seeing himself. Chew on that for a while, right? Eternity, time and space, all that. So he sees the gospel writer, eagle, John. And the reason why it's an eagle is because John's theology is higher, if you will, than the other three gospel writers. And only because he lived the longest. So he had the longest to dialogue with the Holy Spirit to have encounters with Jesus Christ, to meditate on the meaning of Jesus' life. And he died at a ripe old age in his 90s. Somewhere between the year 90 and 100 AD. So his theology is, is loftier, eagle. All right. The next one is one with the face of a lion. That's Mark. He's seeing Mark in heaven. Okay. And Mark, he talks about... Like, you know, Jesus coming into this world and proclaiming the kingdom of God now. Like, coming in like a, a lion and roaring out, the kingdom of God is here. And in fact, his precursor, John, pretty much says that. Like, one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Roaring in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. It's not that the others doesn't do this. Mark just emphasizes this more. And then finally, one who has the face of an ox. Now, 
when we think about Jesus as sacrifice, we think of him as a lamb of God, and rightly so, because that's how he's revealed, prepared in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. But the highest sacrifice of a Jew would have been an ox. It's a lot larger, because it's probably a lot more meat or a lot more milk, and it's also able to uh, work and to, to tow the land. So it's just more valuable. And animals were commodities, right? It's how people made their living. So to sacrifice the largest of them was a great sacrifice. And what Luke does is he really concentrates, all of them do, but him more, concentrates on the sacrificial nature of Jesus Christ. Like how valuable it is. And it's interesting, if you go back and read Luke's gospel at the beginning, he puts an ox at the manger scene. It's a little foreshadowing, right? That's why he names the animals. There's an ox there, okay? All right, those are the four living creatures. What does this mean? It means when John is looking at worship in heaven, he's seeing the four men who gave us the Gospels. That means whenever we're at Mass and we're worshiping the Lamb of God, and we've heard, as we do every weekend, the, the Gospels proclaimed before that, we're not just hearing from their writings, they're here worshiping with us. The Lamb of God. Alright, then he sees the 24 elders. Now maybe you could figure out who these are. Let's split it apart. 12 and 12. So 12 are the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel. Remember Jacob, wrestled with an angel, name changed to Israel by the angel, new destiny. Destiny is to be the father of the nation of Israel. That's his name. And he has 12 sons. And each of those 12 sons then form, we read this in Genesis, form the 12 tribes of Israel. And those 12 tribes of Israel then become the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is God's original people. And through that original people that he called, he brought the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus was a Jew. So these are the 12 founders of the nation of Israel who are the original people of God. And they are here worshiping with us the Lamb of God. But the other 12, come on, I know you know this. Come on. The other 12 are, thank God, right? The other 12 are the apostles, right? And who are the apostles? The apostles are the founders of the one holy Roman Catholic Church. They're the founders of that. We know that as Catholics, but we also, all the historians acknowledge that too. He's the founder. With Christ as the capstone, the headstone, okay, the foundation stone. But he builds his church upon these 12, with Peter uh, in that important place over top of all of them. That means then that the founders of our church who are worshiping the Lamb of God in heaven, when the Lamb of God comes here and we worship him, they are worshiping him 
with us. And we are worshiping him with them. The apostles are here every time we're at Mass. Worship. What's going on here, or what should be going on here, in all of our hearts, is worship. What is worship? Here's what worship is. And we read this in the Old English, okay? The very Old English is this. Like 9th century. Is and worship meant to proclaim one as worthy. That's what worship meant. Proclaim one, like proclaim something or someone as worthy. Worthy of our love, worthy of our time, worthy of our attention, worthy of our devotion, worthy of our lives. So that means when John is looking into the heavenly throne room and seeing the worship, he's not just seeing it, he records that he hears them worship. And what do they say? They say this, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The lamb who was slain, who is no longer slain, who has now been resurrected. They're crying out across eternity, worthy are you, Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, who was slain and rose to save us. They're acknowledging that you're the one who saved us. He's, they're acknowledging that we have our existence because of you. We continue in existence and eternity because of you. We have happiness. We have the fulfillment of our life. We have this whole community up here. We have all of our lives because of you. And so you are worthy of our love, worthy of our attention, worthy of our devotion, worthy of our lives, worthy of us singing out to you. That, my friends, is worship, and that's what's going on in heaven. And every time we gather in a Catholic church, and the Lamb of God is present, Hundreds of millions of angels are here with us. The gospel writers are with us. The apostles are with us. And here's my question for you. Are you worshiping the Lamb of God the way they are? Are you proclaiming the Lamb of God worthy of you? of your time, of your attention, of your love, of your devotion, of your voice singing out to Him in praise, of your very life. Because that's what's going on around you, even if it isn't going on in you. That, my friends, is how to worship the Lamb of God.